You're listening to the City Lights Podcast. City Lights is a church located in Greenville, South Carolina, devoted to building family, blessing neighbors, and bringing good news to the nations. Thanks for joining us. I thought, uh, just in the spirit of the final candle of uh, Advent uh, today, that I would just kind of do a cultural pulse, a, a, a research project, um, at least by way of pop culture, of what, what have we been singing about over these decades uh, in terms of what we think of when we think of love. Uh, when you uh, read some of these songs or think back on some of these melodies or movies that you've seen in terms of pop culture, what comes to mind when you think about culture's explanation um, for love? I looked up um, in Webster's Dictionary uh, on Google uh, just earlier this week that love, according to Webster, uh, is um, a feeling. It says uh, love, according to Webster, if you look it up on Google on your phone, says love is a feeling of uh, strong or constant affection for another person. Again, love, uh, as you think about uh, the Righteous Brothers or Bonnie Raitt or Billy Joel or Elton John or uh, Maroon 5 or whoever else is singing the song, uh, typically and conventionally, love, according to our culture, is a feeling, a feeling of strong or constant affection uh, for a person. And uh, reading through um, some passages uh, this week and just meditating on that word love, um, certainly, I think we see passages in, in the uh, Old Testament and in the New Testament that present love as a, as a feeling. Um, God uh, is not an idea. He is a person, uh, most explicitly that by Jesus' definition, is a father, and feels intense feelings. He, it is compared in the scripture that God's love towards his church is like a husband towards a bride. God's love towards his children is like a father towards a son. We, in fact, have human relationships of connection and feeling to help us express and explain who God is. Um, but primarily, if you were to allow... Um, uh, allow God, allow the Bible to define what love is uh, and not culture, uh, the Bible uh, is much more avidly ready to define love as an action, not as an emotion. Um, that love um, is, um, uh, as the definition here, here on the screen is kind of how, how it kind of came in my mind, love, if you look through the Old New Testament, something around this, this definition, love is actually not an emotion, although it can have emotion or be caused by emotion. Love is actually a choice. Love is a loyal choice to seek someone else's well-being above and often at the expense of the lover. Webster says that love is a feeling of strong or constant affection for a person. What would that mean? What would that say about a culture? And what would that cause a culture to do if it defined love that way? In contrast with what the Bible is saying, the Bible if you look at the Old and New Testament, I'll read a couple passages in a moment, is the loyal choice to seek someone else's well-being above and often at the expense of your own. Mark 12 says this, Jesus asked about the most important commandment. Jesus answers, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, and love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. There's a lot of action there. Certainly some feeling that might precipitate that or be the aftermath of that, but the, the decision, the choice is there to wake up in the morning and to do the Shema, to consider and listen to the greatest command to love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. The second, he says, which is actually not a separate uh, command at all. It's the other side of a coin. Just as like you couldn't rip a, a dollar in, in half and call it a dollar anymore, you can't rip the first and second commandment apart. They are one and the same. We are loving God the way we love others and love others the way that we are loving God. And so our rapport with others is essentially telling us a lot about our spiritual health uh, vertically in terms of our relationship with the Lord. But he says, there's no command greater than this. The decision to loyally love someone and seek someone else's well-being at the expense and over, oftentimes, the well-being of myself. Um, this, is, uh, this is echoed 
Um, in the Old, Old Testament command, I, I want you to hear kind of the, the verbs, the actions, the doing here, not just the thinking or the love song writing or whatever. And now, Israel, this is the Old Testament. What does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk, listen to these actions, to walk, to walk in obedience. Like, love isn't just something I write on a journal. Like, love is something I put my shoes on, I make my bed, I go out into the world, and as I go, that's my love. That's where love lives. It's not just in my mind or my heart, but it's in my feet. I'm walking it out, is what, is what the law would say. In obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, and observe the Lord's commandments and decrees that I'm giving you today that is for your own good. And probably the most scandalous and, uh, and difficult passage when, when it confronts cultural or even um, modern definitions of Webster's love, let's say, is Luke 6.35, but love your enemies. Do good to people that are not doing, doing good to you at all, when you don't feel like, as a matter of fact, whereas the line of scrimmage really gets lined up in terms of what love actually is. Love doesn't begin when it feels like it. Love actually begins when it doesn't feel like it, if you wanted to measure the extent of love. But love your enemies and do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything in, in return not my well-being, but theirs, then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because he is kind uh, to the ungrateful and the wicked. And so, um, and so the scriptures, as, as you read, uh, is not only obviously making an effort to describe who God is and what God is like, but also the scriptures helps us understand the mirror to define what we're like. And the scriptures continually say, not the least of these is First John we'll read today, is that human beings um, not only struggle to define love, but they struggle to do love. Uh, and that one of the deep issues here uh, for what it means to be a human being walking around the earth is that we're not just unclear of what love is, we're incapable of actually doing it. That human beings born uh, into a fallen world and into a sinful place, such as the globe that we live on, are not um, so much born full of love that needs to get directed, but rather born empty of it and desperately needing it. And so if we could define it or not, we'd totally be separate and apart from our ability to actually act it out and live out loyal love to somebody else, especially at our own expense. And, and the scriptures in 1 John 4 says the diagnosis of that, the reason for the reason why we have a God that's so loving, but people can be so loveless is that we are empty of love because instead of being full of love, we are born full of fear. That the reason why I can't love you, even if I could define it the right way, is because I'm afraid of you. I, I'm afraid that I will offer you myself, my love, my identity, my, 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 my sense of self towards you, and that instead of uh, returning good towards me, you, you won't return good towards me, and you'll toss it aside. That you will, you will not love me in return. I'm afraid that um, if, uh, if I put my trust in you, that that trust won't be used for my best interest. It'll be potentially used for yours. And the, the things that I would share to you vulnerably about my weaknesses and about my needs and about uh, who I am and, and what I'm afraid of would not be used for me, but be used against me. And so, and so that's really deep at the heart of why I might be lacking in being able to, um, in, into, into walking out love on a day-to-day, -day, um, a day-to-day -day rhythm. 
uh, also not only the, the fear that you would not love me in return, but that I would fail to love you well, that I would say the wrong thing that I couldn't take back. And if I were to get near you and to get close, I would be afraid of you because if I would share something towards you, it might not be the right thing and I might misunderstand you and you might misunderstand me and so I might hurt you or maybe I wouldn't say the right thing. I wouldn't say anything at all. And in that gap of not saying the right thing at the time that you needed it most, that I would hurt you, I would do the exact opposite thing of what I wanted to do. And so it's not that I'm lacking definitions, it's that I'm, I'm lacking the capability to love on my own because there is, there is as the scripture is going to say, too much, too much fear in me, which ultimately has to do, as First John will say, with punishment. The fear that when we're together, instead of practicing love, what we're more likely to practice together is sin. And sin is connected to punishment. And that is a lethal blow to your and my's ability to practice love together, not because we're lacking definitions, but because we have so much fear in our hearts. But the good news of the gospel is this, is that there is no fear in God, only love. As a matter of fact, the Apostle John says that one of the ways that we can define God is to say that God is love. That God was not waiting to find somebody lovely or find somebody lovable, or find somebody that would love him back, know that while we were still sinners, God died for us and did not wait for us to love us, love him back first, but he loved us first. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his only son to die for sinners. The Bible says if you want to understand the definition of love, then look at Jesus. That God wants to be known and wants to be revealed, and in so doing, he doesn't send us love songs as Instead, he sent a son, a son to share love with us. But not only that, and this is where we'll get into our passage today, but that love would make its way inside us to incarnate into us, not only into a manger, but into your heart and into your mind and into your feet and into your strength. And somehow, through the process of atonement, which is what the theme of the gospel theme that John presents in this epistle today that he casts aside and drives out all fear from us, that perfect love through atonement can drive out fear and fill us not only with enough love, but to overflow us to love to our neighbor. And so the manger is not just a picture, it is a mirror. It is showing us how it will shape us, that his love shared with us, but it shapes us and sends us to the greatest command, which is to love one another. So if you're with me in 1 John chapter 4, we're just going to read through this passage today. Um, as we just consider um, what perfect love might look like in the manger. So it says this, uh, 1 John chapter 4. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And whoever does not know God, whoever does not love, excuse me, does not know God. So there it is written in the text, no matter what Webster says. That human beings are born not with love but without it. That love only comes from one place, from the above place. It doesn't come from you and I. It doesn't come out of us. We are not sources of love. We can be resources, but we are not the source of love. He is the only source of love. love. And that's why the letter begins, or the chapter begins this way. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love doesn't come from us but from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And whoever does not love does not know God. Because God is love. And then it says this. This is how God showed his love among us. Like this is the Webster definition. As we write love songs, as we even get in debates 
and our different Enneagram numbers in our marriages about what love actually looks like, the Bible says, I wrote the dictionary, and I'll present you with the definition. This is what it is. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So one time I was sitting down in a Starbucks for my weekly sermon prep and was in that little bank in Fairview Road. It was like a small little room at about four o'clock in the afternoon where Starbucks is the best, I guess, third place place to hang out. And lots of other people had kind of gathered to do their different work and family routines and, uh, and different mom-daughter dates and so on and so forth. And so there was three couples, three different pairs of people that came in. And the first pair of people was uh, a Latino family that was just speaking Spanish. Isn't that so fun and beautiful to hear other languages talk and express and laugh and joke? And you're not in on the joke, but you can see the reaction, the response of what it means to connect over a cup of coffee and, and to share life together, uh, since life can be so lonely at some, some places and times. And so it's just a beautiful thing to see. And so the, the second family uh, was a father and a son. And as a pastor, I just love to see that. And as a dad, I love to see that, to see all the social pressures that tear families apart. You know, what does Joel say? That the gospel has come to turn sons and fathers back towards each other. And so just to see that picture of, of whatever God was doing in that particular table is just a beautiful thing that really can't come from those two people. Like, they couldn't have created that. Like, even no matter where they are on their journey of Christ, like, that love can only exist because God, God creates it. We don't create love. God is the only one that, that shares it with us. And then this last uh, three, uh, group of three girls came in. Maybe they were in their 20s, and they were laughing and making a lot of noise, and it was, like, almost too loud, you know, for when people. There's, there's sound registers in Starbucks, and some people don't have those things, and they just go for it, you know. But, um, but, but they were deaf, and they were doing sign language. They were, they were laughing and bah, 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 making, a, like, lots of different noises, but you could see from one table to the next, from Latino family, the father and son family, the sign language family, that, that love is so uh, beautiful and robust in whatever culture and whatever ability and whatever socioeconomic status, like, love wants to get out and communicate. Love wants to get across the table to the other person, to not just have love, but to share it, to communicate it, and to, and to get it across the table to the other person. I just don't want to love you. I want you to know that I love you. And so isn't it funny, like in a day like this, when we have in our pocket, like just more access to, to communication than ever before, but so lacking in connection anymore? Isn't that the isolation factor that even our kids, you know, the registry of, of anxiety and depression, even in our toddlers, there's, in our kids, in our child age kids, I was talking to a teacher the other day that there's uh, maybe three or four of them in this one particular school, just in Greenville, on suicide watch because of this isolation, this Mother Teresa says that isolation is the epidemic of the Western world. Like, this is the crippling leprosy of the thing that we live in, is this disconnection. And, and the more and more we try to find our connection in these kind of shallow social, social networking platforms, the less and less we find it. And the more and more we, we reel, and the more and more that we are, um, we, we spin for the things that we're created for, which is connection, which is, which is for love. And this is why I think it's just so important, church, that we're together continually, like not to neglect the getting together because we are not made, as Genesis talks about, to be alone, that we're made to be together. And Jesus did not come to communicate his love through a live stream. He didn't come to, 
to preach the gospel and bring good news by sitting in heaven and giving him an Instagram live picture of what heaven was like. He came down and put on flesh and moved into the neighborhood. And that says something about the definition of love. That he did not, he did not count, right? The uh, equality with, with, with God, something he grasped, but he lowered himself, as Philippians says, to come and be among us. That's what love means, to be among us. And so... This is so critical to us that we allow God to have the dictionary of love, not the world, especially as Christians. Some of the places probably if we followed the definition of love in the gospel, like where you are actually the least comfortable this year, was where, where God was closest to you. The places where you were dealing with your ex, where there was not reason to seek another person's well-being over our own, we thought maybe that was where God had left us. Maybe that was where God was visiting us. The very line of scrimmage where, where feeling did not want to extend well-being and love and forgiveness towards another person. Maybe that was the place where God was dwelling with us most this year because, God, because love doesn't want to be isolated. Love wants to reach across the table and, and to connect, to show and to share. And so this is what God's sign language is to us. If we don't live a does he love me or love me not faith, we can always look back on the first advent and look forward to the next coming of a God who defines love as being with us, as being among us, being in the middle of the mess is where God has chosen to define, define love. The second thing that uh, 1 John says is that love is not only shared and shown through the manger, but it, it begins to shape us. This is what 1 John 4 goes on to say, that no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. There's this picture that, that love has a beginning, and then it leads to a completion, and that the Spirit of God is, is living inside of us, has given us life where there was death, and has caused love not just to come alive, but to come into maturity, to come into completion. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. And if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, then God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us, that God is love, and whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. And this is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on that day of judgment that in this world, we are like Christ. My wife, uh, Kyra, is a, is a nurse, and so I don't like to think about people as anatomical structures. I just like to think about people as cartoon characters. I don't want to know about my kidney. I don't want to know about why that rash is there. I just want to go on with my life. I don't want to hear about all that. But um, one of the things I, I did pick up having kids and, you know, marbles laying around and kids that can jump into swimming pools, right, is... Um, is when you talk about, you know, CPR and assessing situation, you know, you're, you're looking for vitals, you're looking for life signs, the ABCs of vitality, airway, breathing, circulation. How do you know somebody is alive? You know because they have air coming in and out of their lungs. You know because there's, there's blood pumping through their veins. You'll take their pulse, airway, breathing, circulation. That's, that's the essence, the ABCs of, of what it means to be alive, physically speaking. But First John is saying that one of the things that we look for in a person that is spiritually alive, is love. That when we see love in our heart, when we think of love, 
or feel affection towards another, especially at the expense of our own well-being, we shouldn't only celebrate that love is among us, we should celebrate that God is among us. That no love is ever practiced unless God is in our midst. And so the vitals, like the spiritual fruit that tells you that you are spiritually alive, is not how many Bible passages you've read or how many times you've been to church or, or first and foremost, um, you know, uh, how many times you volunteered in the children's ministry, but first and foremost, that, that the Spirit of God is showing love in us as the way that we know that we are spiritually alive. And so um, there's really an interesting uh, dynamic that's been going on, you know, in our society as, as of late um, in the sense that uh, sociologists have talked about the fact that uh, as the authority structures in, in our communities kind of wear down and wear away, um, we have and can lose our definitions of what it means to be an adult. Uh, that's why on Instagram or on Twitter, you'll see little hashtags called hashtag adulting, you know, which means like, I guess we're cutting coupons well or saving our money and not spending it or getting up on time or whatever it is that we define as adulting, that there's this new thing of adulting. Um, and, and that's because when we, when we flatten our authority structures, uh, we no longer have a picture of what it means to be a complete adult. Uh, so we look to our peers and that's why uh, we are so successful as a generation. I mean, seriously, we are wealthier and more educated and more advanced than any other time in our history, right? We are so successful but so fragile because when we don't have authority structures telling us about where we're headed, we look to our peers. And if our parents are not susceptible to leading us and guiding us towards completion or our authorities guiding us towards completion, certainly our peers are not safe hands to put it either. And so we can take stock in this that love has not just come to be shared in the manger, but to be shaping us in the manger. And over time has not only started us uh, in Christ to be reborn, as it were, but to mature us and to complete us. And that is, that is the nature of, of, of what love is. It is to, to be perfected into perfect love. In that, in that sense, it's not that love is just a light switch that I watch um, the Titanic, a love story, and all of a sudden understand what love is, and then I can just go love people, is that the Holy Spirit has to climb inside me, incarnate himself inside of me, and over life, mature me into what Paul, or what John is saying in this passage, is completion, which is perfect love. And so on the screen, there's different, um, you know, psychological development phases of, of our children. Maybe you'll recognize these if you're parents, or if you're a teacher, you'll see some of these things. The goal of an infant is to connect that the infant can see the smile of the mom and, and needs to know that the mom uh, has pleasure on the child. This is the highest goal and value, as I've understood, of, of what an infant is needing, obviously, outside of your typical normal physical needs. It's, it's just this feeling that the, that the kid can't really detach themselves from the mom. And so with the mom smiling, it's like the baby is smiling and senses the joy of the mom. There's this connection, but, but the infant is not made to just to be fed by the mom hand and foot, that the infant learns to know that not just the um, provision of what the mom is giving, but the presence of what the mom is giving is actually enough for the child. And so the child is weaned. Biblically speaking, the Bible will use this term as well in terms of spiritual growth, but the child is weaned from the mom. And so the goal of the child next to the infant is, is certainty. That's not fair. She got this. I got $5 and she got $4 and that's not fair, right? They want to measure out what's right and wrong, and they need a sense of certainty. And so the goal of an infant is connection, and the goal of the child is certainty. How many of you guys have an adolescent, and the goal of the adolescent is contrarianism? They are there to disagree with you on purpose, because they don't want to exist to be you. They want to be them, their own self, and so they're, they're working out their identity by, by disagreeing with you. Do you feel that, parents? Do you feel that friction? 
That's not necessarily rebellion or disobedience. That's them coming into themselves. And so where it is they needed certainty, now they need space. They need a healthy level of space, but space nonetheless to figure out who they are and what they're going to be in the world. But all of that, all of that is not the goal. The goal is to come into completion, into contribution. And so when we look at some of these words, this is what love is doing in us. You see, the picture of the manger is not just a picture, but a mirror. It says in Colossians 1 that Jesus wasn't only the only born, he was the firstborn of all creation. In other words, that when he says to Nicodemus, in order for you to have eternal life, to actually have spiritual life that has the actual vitals of spirituality in it, you can't just go learn a little bit more. You have to be reborn. You have to be a baby again. You have to be a child again. But Jesus' life didn't just stop at Christmas. It continued on and it walked out love and talked out love and lived out love and developed and grew, as Luke 2.52 says, grew in, in grace and favor and stature with God and man into its completion. In other words, all manger love begins in the manger but ends in cross love and grows into completion, into perfect love, into old love, into maturity. And so I don't know where you are in your spiritual journey, but just knowing that this year... Uh, came at you maybe in ways that you liked or you didn't like, but in God's hands and with the Spirit inside of you was here to not only show you what love is, but to shape you in love this year. To teach you and reteach you about boundaries and forgiveness. To teach you and reteach you because He wants you mature and complete in love. It's not a light switch, it's a lifetime. The Spirit is in you to teach you about forgiveness. The Spirit has not come to lead you into maturity of like being an adult, it, it, you know, is not just because I have a good budget or because I have a great retirement thing or because I'm dependable with my time and punctual. No, the Spirit is saying that true maturity is perfect love, which has cast out fear. And so the Spirit has come, not as a light bulb, but as, as a life partner to walk that love out in you and me, to bring that Calvary love into completion within, within you and me. And so underneath the surface, John dives a little bit deeper into how it is that we define and live out love, where he says in this next passage in 1 John 4, there is no fear in love. But perfect love, says John, drives out all fear because love has to do with punishment. And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. And whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must love their brother and sister. And so here's what John is saying is going on underneath the surface of all of our definitions and our practical applications of love is that underneath our definitions and applications is our motives. And underneath each decision, essentially, he's saying there's two different worlds that live within us. is the world of, of fear, which has to do with punishment, and the world of, of faith, really, which has to do with love. It's a pretty scandalous thing to tell us or to tell, you know, John or to tell Nicodemus in the middle of night in John chapter 3 that we'd have to be reborn to have love. I mean, that's a pretty strong statement to have from a young 30-year-old rabbi telling this expert in the law what he doesn't know about love. But Jesus holds the definition of love in the dictionary of love and not us. And what Jesus is saying and what John is saying in the spirit here is that ultimately we cannot have love without faith. Look at what it says uh, in the verse I read previously. We love because he first loved us, and whoever 
Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. There is no fear in love, but perfect love dries out fear because fear has to do with punishment. You see, the reason why there is a love vacuum oftentimes in our hearts, in our minds, is because of fear. It is the fear of punishment, the fear of rejection, the fear of failure, the fear that love will not find love in return, but will find rejection in return, find failure in return. And this is why it is so essential and important um, that faith plays an integral role in love because faith tells us that in Christ, wherever there was punishment, there is only atonement. This is what it says. Do you remember in the very beginning of his letter, or at least in the chapter, it says, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That word atoning sacrifice, that's a, a fancy word for just saying covered. That it's covered by the blood of Jesus. That sins between you and I from this year or any of the years before, sins between you and, and your loved ones and your family members and the people that you wanted to love and dared to love and riled up the courage to love as much as you could this year, ultimately um, are not just brushed aside in the new year and just forgotten about. Jesus says that the only way that love can really reside and become perfect in us is that day by day, that punishment would meet atonement, not forgetfulness. That punishment would meet the blood of Jesus. That in, in the sense that the sins that you have committed towards me and the sins that I have committed towards you, not just at Christmas time, but on a daily basis, don't just meet forgetfulness. They meet atonement. That the blood of Jesus speaks a better word over the sins that I have committed towards you and you have committed towards each other and we have committed towards a holy God is that the blood of Jesus speaks a better word that all punishment meets atonement. And this is how love is made perfect. That every time a brother or sister does something to us or around us, that they have betrayed our love or they have failed to love or they have said too much or they have said too little. That the scripture is saying that we can't conjure up love on our own nor clarify it with our own dictionary definitions, but only trust, only have faith that the manger is the truest definition of love that we've ever known. That love has shown itself in the manger, shaped itself in us, and sent us to love one another, not because of good tidings and yule, yuletide, greetings, but because of atonement. Because the blood of Jesus has covered over all of my past and present and future sins. And in faith has covered over your past and present and future sins. And without atonement, there is no love. Love is an exercise of faith because without faith, there is no atonement. And this is what is really lacking not just a better love song or a better Shakespeare play. What is lacking is our conscious trust in the atoning sacrifice that whatever they did to you cannot cover the blood of Jesus. No, the blood of Jesus covers that thing. And that, only that, working out day by day by day bring us, brings us into completion. And so this is what the Bible says about love, the superlatives of love, is this, is where you're headed. It's where he is making perfect love in you, in you by casting out fear is that love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. 
And so um, just as a, a closing uh, remark, you know, on this, uh, on this year, um, uh, we have much to be grateful for um, because uh, in this room and looking back on this last year, um, I believe without perfect completion, but in process and in progress, there's been love practice in this room between brothers and sisters that don't know each other, that are from different socioeconomic backgrounds, that have different personality um, dispositions and different preferences, that through the love of God, that there has been love among us. And we should celebrate today and be joyful, not just because there's love among us, but because that says that God has been among us. I woke up uh, yesterday morning, and, uh, and usually I need my cup of coffee to remember my name before anything gets going. I try not to look and my phone, because there's a lot of anxiety out there, man, and it'll just rush you quick if you get on that phone too quick. And my phone was going off, ding, 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 ding. It was my good friends, you know, uh, Taylor and Mackenzie, they're currently moving uh, from one apartment to another spot uh, because there's just like a mold issue in the apartment. It's just, of course, at Christmas time, this is exactly what's happening, right? And, um, and there's just all these messages coming in of people with trailers, and I'm going to help you move, and I'll be there in the rain. You guys know it was raining yesterday? People just showing up in the middle of the rain, soaking, soaking wet. And you know your real friends when they come to help you move. You want to know who your friends are. Ask people to help you move, and you'll see who's your real friend, who's really going to show up for you. Kyle Walker, Matt Cochran, love you forever, man. Moving that piano, that was, never forget. When we see love practice among us, that's just not a discipline. That is a miracle. The Bible says that is a life sign, that the Spirit is among us, and that those that love and love one another are not just following a command. They're celebrating new life. A new command I give you, not like the old command, to love, to love as I have loved you is what Jesus, is what Jesus says. And so, um, and so this, is, uh, this is the question that um, I, would, I would have you to consider as we um, close the year out and uh, hopefully celebrate and are grateful for those that are in our lives and the way that God has been um, among us and in our midst is uh, where have you seen uh, the love of God shared with you, unconditional and sometimes counter-conditional love. You've probably seen it somewhere. There's probably been something or someone that has practiced counter-conditional love with you. And the celebration is not just that love has been among you or with you, but that God has been among you because that thing can only come from God. How has love shaped you? That as an infant in Christ, whenever it is that you first came to be uh, a child of God through believing you, you continue to grow from not losing and away from connection, but continue to grow into connection, but also uh, the certainty of God's truth and God's wisdom in your life and, and the ability to sharpen and challenge your own behaviors and the behaviors of those around you into completion. Where have you seen love shape you into perfect love that is not giving up and is not letting go, that continues to go towards people even when you don't receive love in return? Where have you seen love shape you? That was God. God among you, God with you, God in you. And lastly, where are you seeing God send you? Because the Bible does not say to fix one another in love. The Bible does not say just even to teach one another. The Bible does not say to just get around and put up with one another. The Bible says to love one another because to love one another is to know and to love God. And if we have love in our midst, we should be grateful for that because it doesn't just mean that love is among us, but that God himself is among us. God is love, and perfect love is casting out fear. And so there is nothing to be afraid of because anything that was deserving of punishment in Christ is now covered for an atonement. And perfect love is casting out fear even in and among us today. Amen. Thanks again for joining us. 
you have been encouraged or challenged by this message, please give us feedback by leaving a comment on this podcast. For more information on our church, visit us at www.citylights.cc.